This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Today is February 7th. Welcome into the show. My name is Braden Dennis. As always, joined by the magisterial Simon Belanger. I got a DM saying, I recommend you call Simon magisterial. It's a different take on majestic. I was like, that's not a real word. I have to check that up. And it says, having or showing great authority, a magisterial pronouncement. Uh, this word is officially far above my pay grade, but uh, we're leveling up on the show here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have guessed the same thing as you. I didn't think that was a word. I thought that was made up. So I'll know for next time I play Scrabble, I'll pull that one out. Yeah, yeah, magisterial. And then everyone's going to go to the Scrabble book and you're going to just know it's a word. There you go. Um, so thank you to the listeners always providing us insightful ideas, uh, the most important kind of insightful ideas. Today we're talking earnings and news. Um, it was a fun group of companies to cover, not only because it is earnings season, but also some high quality Canadian names that we like, some own. And uh, yeah. Let's uh let's get right into it. Uh I think uh am I first on the dot? Yeah, 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 I think yeah, I am. Yeah, speaking of before you get started, maybe we'll have to do a couple more names for uh for next Monday as well because there were so many good companies reporting we had to just choose yeah. a total of 8 and I think we could have done 16 easily. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's just it's earnings and it's the best part, right? Cuz it's Q4 and full year earnings and um, you just get so much more insight into the company and long term and a lot of metrics that will only come out on 10Ks that you just don't get any kind of transparency or look through all year until until uh, full year results come out. And, you know, we're long term investors here, so I like looking at the full year numbers, too. All right, let's do that as well for, for TFI International, ticker TFII or TFII.to on the TSX. Now, the Q4 results compared to Q4 of last year, it's basically flat across the board. Some pretty hard comps. Revenue is down a few percentage points. But margins were great, and operating income was up 1%. So, like, you know, up a percent here, down a percent there on, on metrics uh, for Q4. But let's focus on the full year because you zoom out and you get some pretty exciting uh, numbers when you compare 2022 to 2021 off the back of tough comps. So uh, it really shows you how well this this company is actually executing. Total revenue is 8.81 billion for the year, an increase of 14%. Operating income was 1.14 billion, up 16% before uh, fuel surcharges. And uh, earnings per share was up 26%. And free cash flow was also up 26%. How's that for a boring trucking company? You're, you're seeing like ridiculous uh, growth on the EPS, free cash flow, operating income when you zoom out just five years. And oh boy, has the stock performed well during that time too, as it should. And Simon, they hiked the dividend 30%, a 30% hike on the dividend that they're going to pay out. Bro, my yield on uh, yield on cost on the TFI dividend is getting actually insane at this point. I'm very glad I bought this stock years ago and just let it ride because it is still not expensive. I I believe arguably still pretty cheap because you know trucking doesn't get bid up a lot, and when the consensus is that we're going into a recession or we're already in one, uh, trucking certainly does not get bid up in that situation. But you just it just doesn't matter when the fundamentals keep getting better and better and better. You don't even need multiple expansion. And this stock is up 70x since IPO. Uh, it's compounded at 17% for 20 years on the equity. 
Like it's uh, it's unbelievable. Any any comments here before I get into the the segments, and then uh, we're gonna play a fun game. Uh, no, I mean I'm glad you kind of specified it was a trucking company and deliveries, right? Because people who are new to this show, they yeah. might be like, "What the hell is this company?" Uh, but no, it's performed yeah. really well. Yeah, TFI International doesn't tell you a whole lot. No, exactly. It? And if you're new to investing, it's not necessarily a name that you'd be extremely familiar with but uh they've done a great job executing and i mean if they manage to do quite well i mean you know obviously they want tough comps but if they manage to do pretty well on tough tough comps i would imagine going forward it will at least be that um that would be my assumption it won't get worse than this uh that would be my assumption even if we have what most people are thinking now like We'll enter a recession, but probably more of a mild recession that we're, we'll enter. Yeah, right. Because like, obviously cyclical, obviously very attached to the macro. But you combat that with the capital allocation that they've done, the acquisitions that they've done, and they thrive on tough times. These roll-ups of distressed assets like trucking, like they buy trucking companies that are in distress, they're they're basically turnarounds. They work them into the network, improve operating efficiencies. A lot of these rollups thrive when the companies they can acquire are in tough times. Like that's basically the business model. So um, I like that piece of it because if you look long term, when their business might be struggling, they can also acquire. Uh, these companies on lower EBIT multiples. So that's nice. Um, package and courier operating income up 23%, less than truckload down 17%. But keep in mind, uh, it was up 550% last year because they tucked in that UPS freight acquisition. So that's kind of kind of a tough comp there. Truckload operating income up 59%, logistics operating income flat. Um, so a lot of the big segments up, double digits, and yeah. All right, let's uh let's let's play a game here before we do that though. One quote here from Elaine Bedard. We enter 2023 in the best position in TFI International's history and are eager to create additional shareholder value in the year ahead. Let's play a game of two Canadian icons called Which Bedard. All right. I'm going to say something and you are going to tell me if it is Elaine Bedard or Connor Bedard. You have to guess. A Quebec native, Simone. Oh, that would be Alain for sure, yeah. That would be Alain Bedard. Played hockey at West Vancouver Academy Prep. Uh, I think that's Connor because I think he is. Uh, everyone from BC is hoping the Vancouver and their tire fire, Vancouver Canucks and their tire <laughs> fire <laughs> management team will uh, will get lucky and uh, pick the, the local boy. That is correct. Tank for Bedard in full effect. Five uh, ten in height. I would say that's. I think it's Connor because I think he's not a the biggest guy. Yeah, correct. Connor Bedard is five ten in height. And asterisk. I have no idea how tall Alain Bedard yeah, is. So yeah, he, he could he, be five ten. He could be six foot nine. The, the giant, and we have no idea. Made twelve million dollars last year. Uh, I mean, I'll go with uh, Alain. Yeah, I'll go with Alain. <laughs> Unless correct. Connor has tons of endorsement deals, which I'm not aware of. Yeah, he'll he'll make his money very shortly. Uh, you went four for four. Uh, here's a layup. Number five has compounded TFI International stock at a rate of seventeen point three percent for twenty years. I'll give you that one. That is Alain Bedard. Uh, excellent execution. Uh, he's run this business since 1993. He's the largest single sh- single shareholder. Uh, there, you know, this and and Kushtard are just like capital allocator goats on the Mount Rushmore uh, of Canadian capital allocators. And uh, this thing deserves all the credit that the market has given it as of you know the last ten years. Yeah. Hey, go go my home province. I live in Ottawa now, but uh, I was born in Quebec City, so it doesn't get more Quebec than that. There you go.
So now moving on, another Canadian company. I definitely, you know, look, there was some really interesting names, like we mentioned, that reported. Um, and, you know, we'll probably talk about a few when we, uh, like I mentioned earlier, next Monday. But this one, I wanted to talk about. It's a Canadian name. And there was so many good Canadian names that I tried to do a bit more. And I think you did as well, right? Try to do a bit more Canadian content as well. Yeah, we did a couple and then, you know, we still got Meta and Amazon in here as yeah. well and, and Activision Blizzard. It's a good mix. Good mix, yeah. It's heavyweight Canadian if you consider uh, the total Canadian stock market worldwide. That's right. Yes, yeah, that's we're it. punching above our weight in <laughs> yeah, terms exactly. of uh, Canadian bias. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Canadian bias is alive and well on the Canadian Investor Podcast. So the company I own, I've talked about it before, Ally Property Read, they reported Q4 in full year. This one, I started a position late last year and I would have added more, but I wanted to just hear what they had to say when it came to Shopify and the well. Management actually didn't talk about it during their statement or their pre, whatever you called, right? Their rehearsed statement that they talk about, but there was an analyst question about it. And in short, what they said was pretty much what Dan was saying when we did the read episode is that Shopify has a lease and they are trying to sublet it right now. Shopify is currently paying the rent since they have a signed agreement to do so. Allied is unsure how long it will take them to sublease it, but they said that they do not think Shopify should have too much trouble because the market rate that they signed at in 2018 is actually looking pretty attractive right now at today's market. Um, obviously, the onus is on Shopify here. They said that they would, you know, help whenever possible. Shopify in terms of facilitate things but at the end of the day Shopify is currently paying rent and they had another subsequent question I listened to the whole call because I was just kind of interested and I even tweeted something that I was biking <laughs> biking on my bike trainer while I was <laughs> yeah, listening that was to the it. most Simone tweet of all time you're on the bike trainer listening to allied property reads earnings call that's uh that's pinnacle of you right there Hey, I'm a busy guy and I gotta, <laughs> I wanna listen to, uh, you know, I love investing, so I gotta manage my time and that's a way to do it. Uh, but one thing that was an interesting question is one of the analysts asked, what's your current percentage of your portfolio right now that the tenants are actually trying to sublease with you know counting in the Shopify? Um, and they said it was still very low. It was around three to four percent. So uh, very reasonable. So obviously, they may be trying to sublease it, the current tenant, but at the end of the day, they still are paying the rent, which is important. Obviously, that's what you want to know if you are an owner of Ally Property Read here. Management also talked about their urban data center, so their UDC, and that they are looking to sell these this year. The majority of the proceeds will be used to pay down the debt, which I actually like to hear their debt has gone up a little bit as they did some acquisitions during the pandemic at attractive prices. Uh, the debt is not overwhelming, still very reasonable, but a bit above their, their preferred target. And they said that they would not talk about this until there is a firm agreement in place for the sale of their UDC. They were quite firm on this, which I appreciate because if you're in talks with a potential buyer, you don't want to be messing up the deal on a conference call. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. No issues on my end here. And now for the full full year numbers, just uh, took out some important numbers, I think, uh, for REITs and especially this one. Uh, least area was a 40 basis point to 90.8%, which is very good for an office REIT in this current climate. Average rent per occupied square foot was slightly down, but up when excluding the UDC portfolio. Rent for renewing leases was up 5.6% for the year. So that's very interesting because a lot of people are bearish on office real estate. And that shows you that even as the lease are expiring, there are actually able to do some pretty nice increases here the interest coverage ratio was slightly down to three times which is uh, the amount compared to the uh, is sorry the adjusted EBITDA compared to its interest expense average remaining lease is 5.5 years throughout the portfolio the FFO so funds from operation per unit was up 1.2% to $2.44 and adjusted funds from operation or AFFO 
per unit was a 4% to $2.17. The payout ratio for FFO was 71.8%, actually up 120 basis point, And the payout ratio for AFFO was down 80 basis point to 80.4%. So in line with what they traditionally uh, paid. And the one thing, the one area or the one market they're in that is a bit slower is the Calgary market. It continues to be the slowest here, but Allied is still doing better than the overall market in that area. And keep in mind that you know, the vast majority of their real estate is actually in Montreal and Toronto. So Calgary, it is one of their major market, but in proportion, it's actually quite small. And I thought it was a really good call and actually added to my position today after, uh, you know, a couple of days of just, uh, you know, digesting the information. And honestly, I was really satisfied. But again, if you do like this business, make sure you do your due diligence. It's not financial advice. I did mine on this. And there are risks. It's not without risk. Uh, the big premise here is that I'm betting that more and more company will go for not necessarily a full return in person, but to at least a hybrid work kind of work arrangement, which will require some office space, obviously. Not to mention how cheap... Uh Compared to well, exactly. <laughs> compared to historicals, it has gotten. You know, like we talked about, it, it was the most hated sector of all asset classes in the world was real estate investment trusts. In yeah, twenty twenty two, and the office was like and pretty the office, much yeah <laughs> of the subsectors, if you'd like, of real estate investment trusts. The office was definitely hit one of the hardest, and is still one of the most hated. So. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a definitely a value play. My average dividend yield here is six point five percent, so it uh, pays a juicy yield. But I think it's a solid business. I mean, maybe I'll be proven wrong, but this is a long term play for me. It's so funny because this was always the darling of REITs. It was always the darling of REITs in my eyes, anyways, and 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 valuation wise, especially like on price to AFFO. And just the yield alone, you'd be hard pressed to find it ever beyond two and a half percent ever uh, historically. And now look at it now; it's beyond beyond six percent. It's crazy how things change. So one thing I just wanted to double click on here, right, is if you just read the headline news, it says Shopify has pulled out of the well, right? And that's the headline. No context. You don't know a whole lot in here. You you, you do the work. You, you're here on the on the pod telling you telling people how it is. They are paying the rent they for are. the contract that they signed. They're just they've just pulled out in terms of moving their people in there, but they have not pulled out financially. They're bound to a contract. Yeah, and the management like actually said. I think it was the CEO who said that word for word. Shopify is paying the rent. Yeah, I mean they have to, right? Yeah, they signed a lease. That's what it is. I mean, obviously, like Shopify is renting other space with um, with Allied. So clearly you want to make sure to make it as easy for them to try and sublet yeah. it. But you want to keep a good relationship and you don't want to have relationship that reputation. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, contract's a contract. Yeah. No, well put. It is what it is, right? They made a misstep and now they're paying for it regardless. Let's talk about uh, Amazon. Speaking of another e-commerce business, you did you finally buy shares or no? I, I had remember. some that I bought, oh. uh, you know, when they was trading pretty expensive. Uh, okay, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Um, I added some, so I actually uh, sold a little bit of my Shopify uh, position because I thought the valuation got a little pricey again, and I kind of view those in a simple. Obviously, there's different parts to Amazon. I won't get into that with AWS, which we'll talk about. Uh, but obviously, it's to me, it's also very predominantly a e-commerce play of like right. it's you know so that's why i actually trimmed a little bit shopify to add a bit more to amazon because i think you know short term there might be some pains but the valuation is actually quite cheap right now for amazon historically and um i think you know there's going to be some headwinds short term but i think two three four five years down the line they they'll be chugging along yep no i'm uh i'm with you but i'm also about to be 
the oh, bringer of pretty bad news. Oh, I know. I uh, saw the numbers. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you saw the numbers. Uh, let's start with the bad and probably stick with the bad. Um, well, let's get the segments first. Okay, so first party uh, on the e-com side, year over year was down 2% pretty interesting third party sellers which is you know been such a big focus for them and been such a huge growth lever uh was up 20 percent. so you know decent uh, decent number on the top line there added about six over six billion in sales so not bad now the subscription business that's like the prime the prime business that was up 23 percent. they did see record prime subscriptions for the lord of the rings release so at least some good news there. I thought the show sucked. But hey, uh, that's just my opinion. Ads and others, again, continues to be a, a decently bright spot at, at 23%. And this is related to the e-commerce business, this ads business. Yeah. Um, and so they, they break it out separately, but it, it really is um, the e-commerce business. Now, ads and Prime, I'd say, you know, solid. Uh, you know, okay, right? The AWS has always been the bright spot that you can draw to in every Amazon quarter for how long can uh, have we talked to it? It's like, oh, uh, you know, no operating leverage on the retail side, but look at AWS. You know, this thing is going to chug along to a $100 billion run rate. Uh, you know, within the next five years, we'll definitely see it this decade. And while that is true, there's a couple concerns. There's a couple short, a couple short to medium term concerns, and then I'm going to talk about maybe some potentially long term concerns as well with Amazon. But then round it out with a long term view. Okay, so the AWS deceleration is the big concern from the quarter. I, th- I think you know it's not going to persist at sixty plus percent forever. You know, of course not. But it was sustaining a forty percent year over year growth rate quarter after quarter. And is that an unrealistic expectation long term? Yes, also unrealistic. But I guess investors are a little shaken at the at the level of deceleration. Because if you look, you know, back from Q2 2020, you had 37% year over year, 39%, 39% again, 37%. And then the deceleration comes 33%, 27%. And now drop to twenty percent year over year Q four to Q four. Now that's a pretty fast deceleration, and and it sounds ridiculous. You know, twenty percent increase on a segment that's doing over twenty billion dollars a quarter is obviously still fantastic. But you know, this game is all about expectations versus reality, right? And margins were also kind of disappointing on AWS. These are the last four quarters the last four quarters of AWS operating margins. It had ticked up all the way to about 35% AWS operating margins. Even if you just use that number and the consistent growth rate that it has persisted at, you're like, wow, this thing's going to churn out tons of cash. These are the last four quarters of operating margins for AWS. 35%, 29%, 26%, and now down to 24%. Consistently less profitable with more and more on the top line. Like that shouldn't happen. It, it, ideally, like no one modeled out five years ago that margins would drop with more top line. Like that's the whole point of operating leverage. And Amazon. X AWS operating margins are negative across the board. You add up every other segment and you have negative operating margins. From Mostly Bored Ideas on Twitter, he says, Amazon added $281 billion in revenue in 2022 versus 2018. So in those years, they added $281 billion of sales, and yet none of the operating cost line shows any operating leverage Cost sales is mostly shift from product to service sales. They managed to increase marketing cost from 5% of revenue in 2018 to 8% of revenue in 2022. Like, again, it's not what anyone had planned for this business here out in 2022. From the 8K, free cash flow decreased 
to an outflow of $11.6 billion for the last 12 months, uh, an increase from $9.1 billion of outflow. Let's talk long-term in a second here. Do, do you have any, any thoughts or comments, any more uplifting counterpoints here? I mean, I sound very no, bearish, I mean, but... Yeah, the, the quote is kind of funny, and it's a bit out of context. That's what I find a little funny, because those years, they were not usual years for the most part, right? So, you know, it kind of leaves out the increased costs, inflation, and, you know, Amazon investing heavily in the business during the pandemic. So clearly now we've seen they've laid off a substantial portion of their employees, and I feel bad for anyone affected, but they are definitely looking at being more profitable right now. It's going to take time, but for me, I have a longer term look. It's not been a great, I would say, even 2021, 2022 hasn't been a great kind of couple of years for Amazon. But again, I think they're just right sizing the ship at this point. And it's more of a short term thing in terms of long terms. They have a lot of levers they can actually uh, use. So I think you have to, you know, if you're short term, obviously, if you're thinking just one or two years, I don't think you should be owning Amazon here. Um, because they probably won't be turning it around that quickly. Uh, maybe, uh, I mean, would be great if they did, but I think it's more of a, a five years because there's just, in my opinion, I think especially the, the retail, you know, part of the Amazon business and the other part that's really interesting is the ad sell segment. I actually am more bullish on the ad sales for Amazon than I am for Google. Because Google, there's a lot of disruption. And at the end of the day, when you go to the Amazon app, I mean, I good luck uh, OpenAI to disrupting that. Because you're actually going to the app and those search results that are ad-supported that businesses actually pay for. I mean, I think that most people will gravitate towards those results too. Right. So I think it's much more kind of disruption proof than a Google like we talked, uh, you know, whenever the uh, chat GPT actually came out. So that's kind of my thesis. It's more long term. Obviously, I added to my position before um, this came out. So clearly I would have liked better results. But again, I'm not panicking on something that's a bit more short term in nature. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not thesis breaking. Really, it's just. I guess the main concern is, is like, from my view, it's like, draw a line on all of the numbers that I'm talking about and when Jeff Bezos stepped down. And it, it's not great. And I, I get it. They had to, the timing was, we have to build, we have to build capacity. We're going to spend stupid CapEx. That was always the plan. We're all because that's what makes it defensible, and that's what you're talking about makes it defensible. Because how are you going to compete with them at that scale? They have 680 million square feet square feet of warehousing. Like no one has a logistics network like they have. No one can spin up anything remotely close in terms of capex to compete. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you with an asterisk is what. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where I actually will push back is I don't think Jeff Bezos has anything to do with that. I think a lot of the initiatives were actually that we're seeing right now that they're right sizing were actually done under Jeff Bezos. So he stepped down in mid 2021, if I remember correctly, as CEO, and he still oversees the board. So I'm not sure I, I agree with that part there. Uh, but aside from that, I mean, yeah, I think I, I agree for the most part in terms of, yeah, they have to right-size the ship and clearly that's not good. And also makes sense why they did those layoffs, right? So we heard about these layoffs before this came out. So I think it puts a little more context. It's not just that they're coming out with their full-year results right now and they're panicking. They actually, you know, they really realized that a while back. I think they started talking about that. When was it? Like in May of 2022? where they were basically saying, like, we will probably be looking at leasing some of the warehouse space that we have. So it's been, you know, when you've been following Amazon, I don't think these results are that surprising because they've actually been talking about this for over eight months now. So that's kind of the approach I have. Um, I, I don't think I've, I blame Jassy per se either. But again, he definitely, you know, I'll want to see him turn things around for sure. 
Yeah, and that's just it, right? It's it's the <laughs> people are waiting for him to kind of step up, um, and and I think rightfully so. And I'm not saying you know an entire company like Amazon, uh, no pun intended, being an Amazon is is just you know all ha- falls onto to just one point man at the top. That's obviously not the case. But leadership for these companies is is obviously important, and uh, you know you're undergoing a transition from founder leader to you know executive leader, and so it's it. There's just question marks. I'm presenting the question marks. Long term, I think mm-hmm. that there's still a lot of positives to think about, and and if you can see through a lot of that, I think that it's a pretty decent value for me. I'm waiting to see. X AWS operating margins just at least be a positive number, and then I'd be pretty interested in owning it. But I, I don't need to rush into that turnaround, you know. Like no, no, you know what I'm saying? No, yeah. exactly. Speaking of turning around, uh, capex. Let's. <laughs> yeah. Well, the last thing I'll mention is I'm sure Jeff Bezos still has a lot of influence on what happens to. Like I think you know that's that's my view as well. Is he's probably maybe even more involved than we think on the decision-making. Maybe he doesn't have that CEO title, but I have a feeling, especially with how much stock that he still has, like he has a pretty, uh, you know, uh, let's just say vested interest in them doing well. Yeah, I, he's got more money than God, though, so it doesn't really matter what <laughs> how much stock he has. Oh, I mean, if he wants to fund uh, Blue Origin, he's going to need money. Yeah, that's so. true. Speaking of founder leaders, and uh, let's talk about the big blue of Facebook. Yeah, uh, sorry, Meta. Oh, sorry, Meta. Cor- correction, yeah. Meta. Gotta get yeah, yeah. So um, this one was interesting. So clearly, the markets loved this because it was up twenty percent a day after reported earnings. It's a couple hundred um, billion in market ta- cap in one day. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> One day. So um, I'll mostly be talking about the full year results. I listened to parts of the call as well, um, just because I wanted to just hear, you know, the Zuckerberg uh, talk. (laughs) He has just, uh, you know, just a captivating voice, a little bit of sarcasm there. But um, so revenues were down 1% to $117 billion. Um, operating margins were smashed. They went down from 40% to 25%. Although it wasn't as bad if you looked at Q4, um, I think it kind of stabilized a bit towards the, um, you know, the last quarter of the year. I don't have the exact numbers, but I, I recall that vaguely. EPS was down 38% to $8.59. Monthly active people was up 4% to $3.74 billion as of December 31st. Advertising revenue was up in Q4, but still down year over year. Uh, They are seeing 20% more conversion for advertising than last year, mainly driven by AI. And that was a reoccurring theme is now they're actually, you know, trying to use AI more than, you know, the tracking that they would uh, traditionally use with uh, uh, before Apple actually made those changes on Apple devices. Their main areas of investment. You know, I'm sure people know by this point, it's AI and the metaverse. They mentioned that they actually have more than 200 apps on their VR devices that have done over 1 million in revenue. Still not needle moving, but he wanted to clarify, he definitely wanted to mention that during the call to show that I guess, you know, the investments in the metaverse are justified. Uh, Zuckerberg said 2023 would be the year of efficiency. And that's actually the words he used, including streamlining their middle management org structure and improving the speed of decision, not moving forward with projects that might not move the needle for them. Go ahead. It's I'm going to call him Zuckerberg now too because it's too good. Yeah. Um, the the Zuckerberg, the stock literally moved all all of those moves was literally when he says 2023 is the year of efficiency. That's like literally when it went rocket ship. It's like all he had to say. I thought it was when the, he talked about the buyback too. I think that um, a lot of people got excited. And They've already been doing all the buybacks though. Well, they increased it. So they re- repurchased just shy of $28 billion in 2022 and announced they would authorize another $40 billion in buybacks on top of the $10 billion authorization they all still had remaining. So that got the markets really excited. It's a bit confusing for me. So I don't own Meta. Um, I thought it was a really good value play, but I just can't 
can't do it. I just cannot touch <laughs> can't that do business. It. I just can't do it. Like it's I at one point it looked like very attractive and I guess if I close my eyes and block my nose, I probably could have bought some. <laughs> but they had slightly less than 41 billion in cash and marketable securities at the end of the quarter. So, you know, clearly they can't afford the buyback, but if you're investing so heavily in large projects like that, why do you have to buy back so much stock? That's why it's a bit of a head scratcher for me because they produced eight billion worth of free cash flow last year, but it's been trending down. Um, so I just don't know what the hurry was. You know, buy back another ten billion or you know a bit less. It's just I feel like they're not giving themselves enough leeway. I guess it's it felt like Zuckerberg is trying to appease the markets. It really felt like a bit of a desperate move in terms of the buybacks. Clearly, it's still a very profitable business. Like, I'm not trying to say that it's not. Um, but yeah, it's just I found that a bit of a head scratcher. And the last thing of note that I thought was the uh, reels. Reels are extremely popular and growing very quickly. However, right now they're not profitable, but they expect them to be neutral uh, revenue cost wise by the end of this year or early next year. The business hit 2 billion daily active users for the first time. That is, uh, you know, if we're using the 8 billion people on this planet now, I heard there's, I heard there's an 8, 8 billion of us now uh, as of recently. So 25% of the population is signing in to a meta asset daily. Um, that is tremendous scale. Like it's, it's, it's really hard to believe, uh, honestly, and it's not that hard to believe when I'm down here traveling. Like, dude, the world run this world runs on WhatsApp where I am, which is um, not really being monetized. <laughs> that's which issue. is not really yeah. being monetized, but you know, you can't even throw that into the thesis anymore because that's been yeah, <laughs> what like a half decade. But they're not monetizing WhatsApp. Um, that's been in there for too long with no changes. But look, I mean, it's clearly. It's clearly got scale and optionality. So, and and like you said, the business was clearly cheap. But uh, you, can, <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta black out all your senses for a little bit to own it. Yeah, and the, to get back to the buyback thing, uh, the last thing I'll add, I I was I think I read that somewhere where their average buyback cost was I think are in the three hundreds. So it's not like they've done a very good <laughs> yeah, job. I know, right? Yeah, so it's not like they've done a really good job. So uh, yeah, that's that's where the head scratcher is. The, clearly the market like, kind of likes it and um I'm going to try and see if I can pull some data for an upcoming episode, but remember I think in the US it's there's a 1% buyback tax right now. That's being applied, right? So I was wondering. Did that already go into effect? Yeah, I think that was this year's because Canada is going to be 2024. Next year. Yeah. Um, so I was just kind of curious to see if we can see a trend whether it feels like companies are still not shy of buying back shares. That's that's. I guess it's just not enough. Yeah. Like, not an, it's not needle moving on decision making like one mm. percent, right? No, exactly. So I, I'll try to see if I can pull the stats and uh, we can talk about it on the podcast. But that when I I read the 40 billion, that kind of came to mind. I'm like, wow. I guess they don't care about that 1%. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess it's irrelevant. Uh, yep, small little tax hit. Uh, one more for you here, and then we'll uh, – I got one after that. Yeah, I have uh, two more. No, I mean like you're going to talk about Canada Goose. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. I, yeah. I ran out of okay. time to put more for the pod, so yeah. I'm like, okay, you're doing a back-to-back. Back-to-back, that's all right. <laughs> so this one is – I've been pretty bullish on this one for the past couple of years. Apparently, I shouldn't have on this past quarter because, uh, you know, they've <laughs> executed like pretty well and have a strong brand with pricing power in the luxury fashion market. So I think they've done overall a really good job in the past, like, I think three, four years. Um, couple blips here and there. This is definitely a bigger blip this past quarter. But this quarter, I mean, it was not the greatest. The stock took a big hit when the earnings came out. I think it was down more than 20% on the day, but it did rebound the day after. And both days it was down, I think, when you, I think it came out like Thursday morning or Wednesday night, and then Thursday was massively down, but it was up pretty significantly Friday. So I think overall it's down low double digits. And keep in mind too that Q3 
for Canada Goose is the largest quarter in sales for every year. So that's what just came out, Q3 2023. So poor results there really has an outsized impact on the full year. And they essentially do half of their sales for the full year in Q3 alone, which makes sense. Obviously, you're not going to wear a Canada Goose in the middle of the, the summer in July when it's 35 outside. And revenues were down 1.6% to 5 177 million, and that's in contrast of a 24% increase last year for the same quarter. So, kind of almost the other way around here. Direct to consumer was up 1.5%, and wholesale was down 17%, but direct to consumer was 78% of revenues. So, that's where it's really impressive with Canada Goose, is they're really cutting out more and more that kind of you know, extra step where customer is just coming straight to them, which obviously helps their margins. Gross margins were up 160 basis points, but operating margin down 130 basis points. Net income down 11%, earning per shares down 8.6%, and free cash flow was down 43% for the first three quarter of the year to 43 million. Now, management did say that the slowdown in sales was because of two main things. First, worse than expected COVID-19 disruption in China. And clearly people might say, oh, but China reopened. Well, they reopened kind of pretty late in that Q3. So, of course, and people's behavior may take some time to fully change. And they are seeing momentum slow in North America due to some bad macroeconomic backdrop. I guess people don't have, you know, as much money to spend on $1,500 coats. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did you want to add something? No, uh, I, I, I agree that that's going to be a little bit harder to justify. Yeah. Yeah. But typically the luxury markets tend to do pretty well, right? Even in downturns, because yeah. people that are really, you know, well off, they tend to, to, you know, be able to keep their lifestyle, unfortunately, for people that are maybe at the bottom of the scale there. Um, they did mention that for China, sales were starting to pick back up towards the end of Q3, but not enough to be able to move the needle for the quarter. So they did revise also their guidance, clearly, because Q3 is so important for them by uh, guiding 5% lower for the mid-range for fiscal year 2023. So um, they believe that the challenges they had were temporary, uh, that it shouldn't be long-term. So I think all in all, I mean, you probably can give them a pass here. Um, you definitely want to see you know, what happens in the coming quarters. And clearly, you'll want to see what, unfortunately with them, you almost have to wait until next year at this time to really see what's happening with the business. Typically, I always think that luxury goods, and especially in the recession that we might see here, will do quite well. Just, I mean, you know, people who are buying like LVMH type stuff, you know, or, or, or even they'll go far and say like the BRP, the, the recreational toys that people have for their lake houses and, you know, what, what have you. I don't think that they're in a, in a very hard spot. And that, I don't, that's not any new hot takes or anything, but it's kind of like a, a, a recession for some and a recession for, and a not very effective recession for the high income earners. And LVMH and those kinds of companies fit the bill. I'm going anecdotal. I don't have anything to back this up, Simone, but I believe what the people I see and I know who wear Canada goose coats do not have a lot of money. <laughs> I'm serious, dude. I, it is the old, it's the same people that live paycheck to paycheck with their financed BMW. This is the same consumer. And it's anecdotal. I got nothing to back that up, but that is what I believe. And I think that those people are, are the ones that are going to be more effective in in the what I'll call quote luxury goods market yeah. compared to someone buying, you know, a $15,000 watch. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I see I know a few people that have it uh that have some and I think for the most part they're really good coats, right? So they've had it for totally. years. Yeah. Um so I I don't know. I see a lot of people at least in Ottawa that will wear them, but again, I I don't know their you know, their background, whether they're <laughs> yeah. just living paycheck to paycheck or or whatnot. Um, 
I can see why it's like a symbol of prestige in China, because clearly Canada yeah. as a you, you forget the goose, just Canada. It's like, oh, well, the Canadians must know what's up when it comes <laughs> yeah, to coats, right? Have to like, figure out what a yeah. good coat feels like, right? Yeah, there's Canada and Russia, and clearly, you know, Russia. I mean, they yeah, <laughs> let's let's not talk about <laughs> Russia, but um, you know what I mean, right? Oh, so, yeah. um, I, I'm but with no, you. that's I'm with you. that's an interesting point. I mean. I still like the brand, but again, it's really hard, right? Even if you give them a pass, half of the revenues are coming in this quarter. So you pretty much have to wait until next year next to really year. get a good idea. It's really uh, an interesting kind of almost cyclical, but a cyclical that comes back every year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. Huh? Yeah. That is some mental gymnastics and I'm here yeah. for it. Uh, that's just my take. If you own a uh, one of these coats, you know, I'm not a hater. Send I'm us sure your bank you statement. So I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you love your coat, and I'm sure you're 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 doing great. Uh, that's just what I think. All right, let's talk about Activision Blizzard. This business is in such a weird place right now. Uh, it's so strange because you have this pending Microsoft acquisition. Before that, it had a ton of bad press and such bad controversy in the HR department. Microsoft comes in, swoops in. And now it just seems like the deal is not progressing at all. And, and I'm not sure what the convos are going on behind the scenes with executives and regulators, or if those conversations are just at a complete standstill. I, I, no one really knows other than the insiders. So I'll loop back around to my thoughts on where it sits with the, the Microsoft transaction. I'm curious to hear what you think. But I pulled this here, got some screenshots here from Stratosphere. Yeah, because we pull in the segments and and KPIs. So active users on Activision, which is you know the Call of Duty flagship, uh, was 111 million. Now, in, uh, Blizzard monthly active users was 45 million, and King active users was 233 million, which continues to be a bright spot. That's the uh, Candy Crush, right? That's the Candy Crush that, mobile yeah. acquisition that they did, oof, I don't know, a couple of years back. But mobile gaming just continues to be such a good segment of, of the gaming industry. And I've never understood it, but when I travel, I notice a lot of people just, I just see a lot of people playing video games on their phone. Like more so when I was in Asia and when I'm in, when I'm in here in Costa Rica, I see it a lot as well too. People are just gaming on their phone, and uh, it, <laughs> it looks miserable. <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't for me, but uh, hey, it is what it is. On the top line for those segments, Activision uh, had actually a really nice quarter year over year, 60% growth because Modern Warfare 2. Man, call me a boomer. I played Modern Warfare 2. They just reboot it. It's the same game. They call it the same thing. I had to triple check that I wasn't reading a press release from 2008. But yes, it is uh, Activision Blizzard's Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 again. Uh, and apparently it's crushing it. They're having like their best quarter ever with the release of that game. Blizzard revs were up big, at some game release. And uh, King King revenues are always quite solid and grew at six point three percent year over year. So the business is you know doing solid. Still has really good IP. Call of Duty is just forever staying power at this point. Forever, anytime. Okay, how about these two? Anytime someone says Facebook is dead, that's when you know it's a good time to buy the stock. And every time you know Call of Duty, someone says Call of Duty is dead, that's a good time to buy Activision Blizzard stock because. Those two things are just never true. Now, their latest update on the Microsoft transaction is basically no news from their press release here. Quote, as announced on January 18th, 2022, when they said Microsoft was going to buy the stock, Microsoft plans to acquire Activision Blizzard for $95 per share in an all-cash transaction, which is mind-blowing in itself. The transaction has been approved by the directors and shareholders, the two parties are continuing to engage with regulators reviewing the transaction and are working towards closing it in fiscal year ending June 30th, 2022. Because that's when Microsoft reports their fourth quarter. Oh, okay. Fiscal. I thought it would be. I thought you were yeah. going to say 2028. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're going <laughs> to. 
you got me there for a second. Yeah, they're going to close this in uh, Blade Runner 2049. Uh, subject to obtaining required regulatory approvals and satisfaction of other customary closing conditions, blah, 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 blah. Is this deal going to happen, dude? The current, uh, I ARB, mean, the current ARB is 26% upside on the stock. Yeah, I mean, I was lower than you that it would happen even at the beginning, but I I still thought it was above 50%. I can't remember. I thought it was like around 60% I gave it yeah. that it would happen. I was like 80% of, back then. Yeah, where I thought was, you know, my thing was always like, there's always the chance there's a regulatory kind of hurdle that comes yeah. in play here. Um I don't know. I, I think when we last talked about that, I think one of the issues that they were running into is apparently Microsoft said that um, I think when they did a purchase Europe uh, some years ago, they bought the rights to a game or something like that. And they had agreed to not block other platforms and they ended up doing it anyways. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, I have a feeling the U.S. is probably kind of looking at that. Um, at this point, I mean, I don't know if it hasn't happened yet or there's no signs of it like actually concretely happening. I don't know. I, I think maybe, yeah, like less than 25% chance, I would say at this point. I think it's more likely that it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm I think I'm with you. I think I'm sub 50. I don't know if I'd go, I'm still higher than 25 for sure, but below 50. But you know, there's a, there's a saying that goes in sales. Okay. If you work in sales or if you're like me and you're trying to close sales deals for, for my software, time kills all deals. This is true for M&A as well. Time kills all deals. If there is enough time between interest to close and the longer that gate keeps going, it kills all deals. Time kills every deal. And uh, with M&A, it's no different. So the longer this goes on, the lower the chances it happens keeps ticking up. But, you know, the business keeps recording or reporting quarters. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, its intrinsic value continues to change. And so, you know, the stock is in just such a weird place right now. And I'm curious if, it, if something, if it gets announced that it's not happening, where it re-rates to today. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know sure. either. I think yeah. you only buy this business at this point with, you know, do you like the business as a standalone? And if you do, then that's fine. And you know what? If it ends up being bought by Microsoft and you like Microsoft as well, then that's a good thing. I think you have to almost be fine with either outcome. Totally. Uh, so last one here, finishing with a Canadian name. I know a lot of listeners, at least they used to own that. I don't know if they still do. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a name we would remember how many people would ask us to talk about Lightspeed uh, constantly. So we've been keeping up with it. Obviously, it's been one of the poster child, I would say, of kind of pandemic run-ups and then meltdowns in terms of stock price for sure one of those companies i mean the companies that were not profitable that were growing revenues really quickly are the ones that got hit the the worst that had the best run-up but also had the the biggest drawdown so lightspeed is definitely part of that group um it was a pretty good quarter, so revenue was up 24% to $189 million. All numbers are in USD here because they report in USD and they're dual listed. Subscription revenue was up 9% to $75 million. Transaction-based revenue was up 41% to $107 million, which is interesting because I remember a couple quarters ago, they were saying how their focus was to get subscription revenue. And clearly here, you know, one is growing faster than the other. And I think they, they have better margin on subscription, if I remember correctly. But I don't know this business by heart, so I could be wrong there. Net loss of 814 or let's just say $815 million, which was in large part driven by a goodwill impairment of $749 million. They said I was due for a review that they have to review uh, you know, every certain time that I think they're if I remember correctly, if their market cap gets below a certain threshold compared to their assets, then they have to do a review. So it wasn't specific to any, you know, acquisition, but you'd think that, you know, 
it was most likely due because of some of the acquisitions that they paid a high price, but it wasn't specific to one, like a Teladoc, for example, in Livongo. Now, a few weeks ago, they reduced approximately 10% of their workforce to streamline their operation. 50% of those were management position. And this is a reoccurring theme. Huh? I don't know if, uh, you know, Elon has something to do with this. Because it kind of all has been happening ever since he did that with Twitter. I don't know if you've noticed that. I've been yeah. like a lot of tech companies. I'm seeing like slashing middle management positions yeah. to streamline things and reduce costs. Have you noticed that too? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, it totally. It's... it's it, one domino just had to fall, uh, especially yeah. in, in tech, right? And no one wants to be the bad guy who does layoffs first. Unless you're Elon. <laughs> Unless you're Elon and you don't give two shits, right? Um, well, he had to, right? He had to make the yeah. acquisition work. And I he mean. doesn't give two shits. He had to and he doesn't give two shits. I mean, clearly he made a... The thing with the kitchen sink was so... <laughs> dude, dude, I, like... I'm laughing, but like so insensitive, like just ridiculously insensitive. Oh yeah. my goodness, man! I mean, I think I've talked about it before. I'm very like torn with Elon. Like sometimes yeah, I really so love what he's doing and his vision, but sometimes it's just like, oh man, you're out of touch. It's crazy. But, he's yeah. just a man child. Yeah, but that's why people like him. That's why people like him as well. Yeah, no, exactly. So speaking of profitability, they are still burning uh, cash. They will focus now on key accounts, clients doing over $500,000 in gross transaction volume and profitability and key projects with a focus on profitable growth, which is also something we're hearing more and more is just profitable growth instead of growing at all costs. They mention how they are on track to achieve adjusted EBITDA by um, break-even, um, it's still, I think it was relatively soon, but I don't recall. I didn't put in my notes. Um, I mean, I take those adjusted metrics with a grain of salt. I'll just say that personally. I'm looking at free cash flow here. Um, they still lost $28 million in free cash flow for the quarter and have lost $90 million for the first three quarters of the year. Um, they had, going on memory, around $800 million in cash and cash equivalent, so they're fine from that perspective. And they also talked on the call that their share-based compensation has declined as a percentage of revenue from 22% in Q1 to 18% in Q3. <laughs> so, Pat yourselves on the back, Lightspeed. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, look, I've been pretty critical of Lightspeed in the past, uh, mostly because Dax, who is no longer the CEO, I think he's um, chairman of the board. Is yeah, that it, chairman. Or? Yeah, uh, chairman of the board. I just thought that, you know, we would do these interviews and it would just rub me the wrong way because he would like, you know, it was it's basically like it's blowing up in his face. That's a little bit what's happening right now from my perspective is he was just kind of focused on, you know, becoming a mega cap company and losing tons of money. Obviously, that was not part of his focus, but um, it just felt like he needed to you know, focus a bit more on, you know, what's at stake right now. And instead of like thinking 15, 20 years down the line, you know, and almost dreaming if you'd like. So that was always, you know, he, he gave a good interview, but yeah, it just kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way because, you know, it's like, okay, like, you know, why don't you look at the business, obviously grow for the long term, but there are issues that you should be thinking about instead of trying to be the next, uh, you know, whatever Microsoft or, you know, name your big tech company. Two quick comments slash questions for you before we wrap this up. Um, did they mention, did you listen to the call, right? Or Not all of it, parts of it, of, it. of it. Yeah. Did they talk about the acquisitions? Because they made so many. They made those three big e-commerce acquisitions i see the goodwill impairment so maybe that tells me all i need to know but they um i don't know if they did so i i listened to part of the call about like 10 minutes worth and then i was like kind of curious because i saw in their earnings release they were talking about that goodwill and doing a review base i think on the market cap versus the total assets and i think what they said was that the market cap got um lower than the total assets so that's why they had to do a review. So it was based on that. So I actually controlled F the transcript to see if they talked about goodwill more because I'm like, hey, it has to be related to some kind of acquisition that they overpaid. Um, and they just mentioned the same thing on the call. So uh, 
maybe they had some questions from the analysts. They spent a lot of money on those things. Oh, they did. Yeah. And I mean, look, I've, we've talked and, you know, I'll probably, I don't know when Teladoc reports, I think it's in a couple of weeks and clearly they had the, the Lee Vongo acquisition, which they clearly overpaid for. And we've both been quite critical of that, but Lightspeed, you know, was buying companies when things were trading at extremely, peaks. yeah, at peaks, exactly, extremely high multiples. So, um, you know, I think they're, I'll hand it to them overall. I think it was a pretty a decent call, I'll, I'll say that. And they are, it sounds like they're really trying to be profitable. Um Clearly, some of the cost cutting that they've done, I talked about the free cash flow and still losing $28 million. While you probably won't see those cost cutting measures take effect on for another quarter or two, so keep that in mind. So I'll give them a bit of a pass there. I love the product. I do. I love the product. I think it's brilliant. I think uh, the point of sale is brilliant. The, the, the inventory management, the omni-channel product, brilliant. Absolutely amazing. But... Uh, the the fun the financials have never really made the financials or valuation have never lined up for me and uh, I am very glad that those didn't line up in my brain looking at the stock chart that does it today for the episode we really appreciate everyone tuning in we are here Mondays and Thursdays Monday we talk big picture things we're thinking about framework books we're reading. Uh, analogies, science experiments, the whole nine yards. Thursdays, we talk about stuff like this, earnings, uh, news, keeping you up to date, keeping you in the now. Because is it the know or the now? What do people say? In the keeping know, you in I guess. The, keeping yeah, you in the, the know. <laughs> no, in the know now, we're keeping you there. So we appreciate uh, you tuning in. And it's just so much easier to just listen to this stuff than, uh, you know, read, 48 pages of transcripts. That's our jobs. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simon may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.